Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. It's great to see you. Welcome if you're joining us on Facebook Live as well. Um, we are in week number three of a series that we're calling Simplify. We're talking about how do we find more in less. And so if you were here last week, you know that David just did an excellent job of walking us through Jesus' words to the rich young ruler, where Jesus uh, talks to this man and he says to him, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Jesus essentially says, I'm more valuable than any possession you will ever have. And, And so we talked about what does that mean for us as individuals? And so we challenged you last week to take an inventory of your life. WWJD, what would Jesus dump? We, we challenged you to go home and look through your closets, look, look through your items. Is there anywhere where you need to simplify? And so uh, that was last week. And so today I want to talk about what does that mean for us as a church? If we could continue that discussion. Last week was what, what does that mean for us as individuals? But what does that mean for us as a church to simplify our lives to follow Jesus? And Um, I want to begin, if I could, this morning with a confession. Seriously, uh, as your pastor, I want to confess, and this is is what I want to confess, I have a problem with comparing our church to other churches. Seriously, that's actually like a real issue in my life that God has had to uh, speak to me about and confront me on. And sometimes it's, you know, comparing comparing our church to other churches and going, I wish we had what they had, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but other, t- it's, uh, other kinds of comparisons as well. Uh, for instance, a few years ago, I discovered that there is a church not far from where we are sitting right now in our community, uh, and this church spent $500,000 on the flooring in just their auditorium and their worship space. So just the auditorium and worship space, not the classrooms, not the office, not the, you know, all the children's space, just the auditorium and worship space, they spent half a million dollars on just the flooring in that area. And that blew me away. I, I was appalled when I heard it. Just to give you kind of a reference point, uh, what is underneath your feet right now are the old carpet squares from Meyer that Meyer left us when we took over this building. Literally, uh, so if whenever someone spills their coffee or pukes on one of them, which has happened many times, uh, Bill, our facility manager, does a great job. We, we do our best to clean it up, and if we can't clean it up, we go in the back and we grab a, a, you know, a carpet square off the stack of a pile back there, and we you know, just stick it down on the ground, and that's our flooring solution. That's what we do in our auditorium and worship space. And so when I heard this church in our town like spent that much, I, lit, I went into this sort of judgmental mode. You know, and I started, I mean, out loud, even to other people, I started saying things like, man, what a shame. I can't believe they spent kingdom dollars, right, on flooring that people are just going to walk on instead of spending it on people, you know, and all that. I can't believe they would spend that kind of money on that. Right about this same amount of time, um, I went to a missions trip to Haiti. It's one, one of the trips to Haiti I've been on. We were working with pastors. And on Sunday, while we were in Haiti, we went to one of the local churches there, where we were uh, partnered in Haiti. And so if I can describe it to you, imagine 200 people gathered in the sweltering heat. I know that's hard to even imagine right now in Michigan in the winter, but it just absolutely dripping sweat, sweltering heat uh, in this nasty dilapidated building that was literally just crumbling around us. And they had to like, they had all the windows open just so you could kind of breathe and so the air could come in. 
And we're there in this church, there's no air conditioning. And as we're singing, the band is up front and they're, they're leading us in worship and we're all standing and singing. And right in the middle of the worship set, the power goes out. And if you've ever been to Haiti, you know that just happens, like the power just kind of comes and the power goes and everybody just sort of shrugs and goes, well, that's Haiti. And you, you never really know when it's gonna be there. But because this church had no generator, the power went out and it stayed out. And so the sound system goes down, the lights go down. All we can see is from the light coming in, you know, from the windows. And, you know, the band just kind of looks at each other because now no one can hear and they just kind of walk off the stage. The congregation, we all just kept singing for a minute and then it sort of worked for a minute or two and then it all just kind of fell apart. And then literally one by one, people just kind of like shrugged and just sat down like this. So the worship set didn't really end. It's just kind of more like we all gave up on it. Just one by one, we all just sort of gave up like, oh, well. And so when everybody sat down, the pastor gets up front and he begins to shout because he has to shout. That's the only way anybody's gonna hear him in this place. So he begins to shout and he announces, we're gonna take up an offering. And then he gets out the cardboard thermometer. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen this? Whenever a church or whatever has a giving goal, they have like the cardboard thermometer and they just color it red with a marker, you know, as they get closer to the giving goal. And so I think this is great. If there was ever a church that needed a giving goal, this would be the church. So in my mind, instantly I go through the list of things I think they're probably raising money for. I mean, I'm thinking like they need air conditioning, maybe a generator, so this doesn't happen whenever they gather together and just destroy their, their worship time. Maybe a better building, building repairs, a better sound system. I mean, I had this list of 10 things instantly that this church needed. And the pastor says, we are almost fully funded. We've almost reached our giving goal. We are, we are hoping to fully fund, I can't remember how many missionaries it was, from our church to go into other nations to be able to preach the gospel so more people know Jesus. Ouch. <laughs> it was one of those moments for me where God just confronted me because it's all relative, isn't it? In fact, I would say to you today, one of the things that God has been showing me is that there's really no right one way to do church. There's no right way, just one way to, to do church. Jesus was very clear on the what. In Matthew 28, there, Jesus spoke to his disciples what we call the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, for the church, he says, go make disciples of all the nations. And then what are you supposed to do with those disciples? Baptize them and teach them how to follow me. That's it. That's the what Jesus gave us. Go into all the nations, make disciples, baptize them and teach them how to follow me. That's what the church is supposed to be about. But Jesus left the how completely open-ended. <laughs> he didn't give us the how. And so that's a blank that we fill in. And so what God's been kind of showing me is that I have this tendency to always compare myself. And here's the thing. Uh, I know you do this too. It's not just pastors that compare their church to other churches. You do it too. You know how I know you compare our, our church to other churches? Because you come up to me on a regular basis and you say things like, at my old church, we used to... And then you proceed to tell me, or, you know, I was on vacation and we visited this church and they did this, or the church I grew up in, you know, they, we used to do this, my old church used to. And so I, that's how I know you struggle with the same thing too. You compare our church to other churches. And so here's what, here's what God has been showing me. I don't think we're supposed to sit in judgment and compare churches to other churches. I think what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to seek God together as the church for his unique vision that he has for us. For our church. We're supposed to seek him together for his unique vision, his how of how we're called to fulfill the Great Commission. That's what he wants us to do. And our church is unique. 
That sounds better than saying weird, right? <laughs> our, our church is unique. Uh, not many churches have taken over a 100,000 square foot office building. Um, not many churches uh, have given up to half of their space to a community center in that building. Not many churches have merged with another uh, church to create a second campus. I mean, there's some weird things that we have done, some unique things, sorry, that we have done uh, because we felt led by the Holy Spirit to step into these things and do it. And so I think that's what we're really called to do. We're called as the church to seek God together for his unique vision of what he wants for us. And so uh, with that in mind today, what I want to do is I want to go to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 in the Bible. And in Revelation 2, it's, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And in it, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, is speaking to seven different churches that actually were real churches that existed in real cities in Asia Minor in the first century. And in fact, we have found the cities that all seven of these churches are spoken about in Asia Minor. There's actual archaeological digs, and we've learned about what life was like in those cities and in those places where these seven churches were. And so the Spirit of Jesus is speaking to the angel of each one of these churches, and he's speaking to these churches about what they are doing, what's working, what's not, and what the how is for their life and their mission. And so I want to just invite us this morning to do what we all do naturally, and that's to compare some churches. <laughs> so we're going to listen in and compare some churches. And so I want to tell you, uh, we're not going to go through what he says to each and every one of the churches. We're going to do kind of a broad overview. I encourage you to go and read the words of Jesus Revelation 2 and 3, all through that whole passage of what he says to each one of the churches. But then we're going to zero in on one of the churches that I feel like has something to say to us this morning in our context for where we are. So here we go. We're going to jump in. This is Revelation um, 3. Actually, uh, I'm going to give you some comparisons here. To the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2, Jesus says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich in Christ. That's what he says. So, so you're suffering. This church had an extreme amount of poverty. And so the words of Jesus are almost like an encouragement. Don't forget that you are rich in Christ. Almost like to the rich young ruler, I'm more valuable than anything you could ever possess. To the church in Pergamum and Thyatira, Jesus speaks about false teachers that are leading people astray. And so the challenge from Jesus is, like, don't turn away from the true gospel. Don't let these false teachers drag you off of what the gospel that you've heard and what it truly is. Uh, to the church in Philadelphia, that was one of the cities in, in the first century there. Uh, he speaks about persecution from the government and the culture. So the external world around the church was squeezing them. And they were experiencing persecution from the government. So the words of Jesus were, stand strong. Don't lose your footing. Don't lose your ground. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. It's that kind of language that he uses. But then Jesus gets to the church in Laodicea, and we, we didn't look at every single one of them, but in Laodicea, the message Jesus begins to speak to the church in Laodicea is very different. He doesn't mention any of the things he mentions in, in the letters to the other churches. Uh, he doesn't talk about suffering and poverty when he talks to Laodicea. He doesn't, talking to, he doesn't talk about false teachers that are dragging them away from the true gospel. He doesn't speak about persecution from the government and the outside world, you know, kind of coming in and squeezing the church. So let's listen in. This is what, uh, in Revelation 3, starting in verse 15, this is what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. And I think there's something for us here this morning in our context. He says, I know all the things you do. 
that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, Jesus speaking, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I, what? Love. This is Jesus saying, I don't want, it's not something I want from you. This is about something I want for you. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. So these are the words of Jesus to the church there in Laodicea. And so in order to sort of make sense of those words for us in our world today, uh, I want to talk for a minute a little bit about what we know about the city of Laodicea and where it was and what the church was enduring there. If you would have heard these words as a first century person living in the area of Laodicea, these words instantly would have just, you would have known exactly what Jesus was referencing and what he was talking about. So Laodicea has been discovered. Um, and so it actually sits on the southern edge of the Lycus River Valley in Asia Minor. And it sits between these two cities, Hierapolis to the north and Colossae to the south. Um, now, Laodicea was kind of in the middle of this major east-west trading route that went from Antioch, Syria to Ephesus, and which were two major cities in the ancient world. And so they were right in this prime position to be a major trading city in, that, in the empire in that time. Now, what's interesting, what we know is that Hierapolis, the city to the north there, was known, uh, and we've discovered this, for, from their hot springs. They had, there are these naturally occurring hot springs that bubbled up from the ground, and so they've actually uncovered, like, baths. People created these, like, giant spas, like these baths. So people would come all, from all around, and the attraction in Hierapolis was to go and be able to sit in these hot baths. And it would comfort you and soothe you and, and help you with ailments and things that, like that that you had. And so they were known for this hot water. Uh, to the south, Colossae, city of Colossae sat at the base of a mountain. And so that, that city was known for its clear, cool water. It had this nice, clear, pure water that, that flowed down from the mountains. And so people who had ailments would go and drink that water and they believed it had healing properties. And so when Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, he says, you are neither hot nor cold. You're like lukewarm water. He's literally referring to exactly what everyone would have understood in that time. Oh, yeah, Heropolis is, is hot water. Colossae is cold water. Laodicea is just kind of in between. They're just kind of like lukewarm water. And Jesus is saying, your faith, your spirituality is just like your water. Lukewarm. What else, the other things we know about Laodicea and that you would have known if you would have lived in this area at this time, Laodicea had a thriving banking center. So they were right in the middle of this, this major trading highway, and they had this, this thriving banking center there. The other thing they had was a medical center. And in this medical center there, uh, they had become famous in the ancient world for producing something called Phrygian powder. 
And frigging powder was made into like an eye ointment. So in, in the ancient world, it, it went all around. People used it to cure or to heal all kinds of different eye diseases and eye problems that people had. So the other thing they were known for is that they had sheep in this area that would grow black wool. It's something about the diet and the food that was there. So the shepherds who had sheep, they had this beautiful black wool that would grow on the sheep in this area. And so they were known throughout the ancient world for being this, this uh, place where you could get black wool. And so that, was, that had become known. That was unique in the ancient world. And so they'd become very wealthy from the black wool, the, the, the banking center, and the eye ointment, the Phrygian power that they made. Now listen again to the words of Jesus to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know, you, I know you, that you're neither hot nor cold. And then he says, you ne- don't even realize you're poor and wretched and blind and naked. You need to come to me to buy gold refined in the fire to a city with a major banking center. You need, to, you need to come to me, Jesus says, and buy white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness to a city that was known for creating this black wool and becoming very wealthy from spreading it for clothing. He says, you need to come to me and get ointment to put on your eyes so that you can see. What, what's Jesus saying here? What he's trying to communicate to the church there in Laodicea, and if you would have lived in Laodicea, you would have immediately recognized what he was saying. He was saying, what you have provided for yourself, what you are so proud of, what you are so filled with pride about that you have provided for yourself is absolutely not sufficient for what you really need. Jesus is saying, your greatest need is me. You need to come to me to buy gold refined in the fire. You need to come to me for white clothes to cover your nakedness. You need to come to me for eye salve. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. All you gotta do is open the door and let me in and I'll come in and, and have a meal with you. Jesus says, what you have provided for yourself is not sufficient to provide for your needs. Your greatest need, Jesus is saying, is me. The other thing we know about Laodicea is that Laodicea very famously was a, this strong, independent city. In, in 60 AD, it's well documented, there was a huge earthquake that just ravaged this whole area in the, the Relicus River Valley. And so these cities were just in ruins. And so the emperor at the time, Emperor Nero, offered imperial assistance, like economic and financial assistance to the cities in this area. And Laodicea famously refused imperial assistance. They said, we've got it. We're good. We don't need your help. We, we can rebuild on our own. They were this proud, affluent, wealthy city. They didn't want to be known as taking a handout in the ancient world. They wanted to show we can do it. We don't need any help from the outside. And this affluence, this self-reliance had numbed the hearts of the people in the church in Laodicea. And it caused them to turn away from their greatest need and being dependent on Jesus, who is their greatest need, and just be reliant upon themselves. And so the question I want to ask us, I mean, we've already kind of said it, is just the question, what did Laodicea really need? What was, what was the need that Laodicea had? Their greatest need, whether they realized it or not, was Jesus. They thought, we don't have any needs. We're good. We don't need any help. Look at what we've provided for ourselves. But their greatest need, whether they realized it or not, they were poor and wretched and blind and naked. They, their desperate need was for Jesus, more of Jesus. And the greatest threat to them getting what they needed was their own arrogance, their own self-sufficiency. Look what we can do. Look what we can be so proud of for ourselves. 
And the greatest opportunity that Laodicea had in this moment is to do exactly what Jesus invites them to do. He says, turn with diligence, turn from your indifference, your lukewarmness. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm right here. Open the door and let me in. Let me come in and provide for you what you really need. You need gold from me that's been refined in the fire, white clothes from me, eye ointment from me. You need, you need what I have. And this is what Jesus is inviting them to understand and to see. So, so if we could, let's leave Laodicea for a moment. Let's leave the ancient world for just a moment if we could. And let's begin to just sort of turn this toward us here, frontline, in 2019, in our day, and just begin to turn, turn this whole conversation toward us and say, what is, what is there for us in this? What is, what is there for us to learn? And just ask the question, what do we need? What does Frontline really need? If you've been a part of our church for the last few months, it's no secret and we have some needs around here. We need a new roof and we need a new sound system. And we've talked about that. We've put that uh, forward quite a bit. If you were here a couple weeks ago when we had all the the snow and then the, the rain, the freezing and thawing, you, you almost tripped over some buckets that were set out around the building. And up here you can see we've got a sound system that we're demoing for free, just trying to figure out what, what kind of would we need and what, uh, what would that actually be like and that kind of stuff. And so we're trying to wrestle through those needs. In the fall, we went through a, a, a 40 days of prayer and fasting, of seeking God together. And, and what, here's my takeaway from that whole time and what God's been showing me. We, yes, we have these needs, a roof, a, a sound system. These are needs that we have as a church, but our greatest need that we have as a church is Jesus. The greatest need that we have is for more Jesus, for Jesus to be at the center of everything we do of everything that we talk about, of everything that we say, of everything that we go after, we need more Jesus. And what I feel like God has been showing me is that the more we seek him together, the more we make him the focal point, the more we go after Jesus, I believe these other needs, roof, sound system, they'll, they'll take care of themselves as we focus ourselves more on Jesus. I think he has provision we don't even know about and I think the more we focus on him, the more we seek Jesus together, the more we recognize he is our greatest need, the more he, I, I don't know how he's gonna do it, but I just believe, and I believe God is showing me that's, the, that's what we've gotta do. We've gotta focus on Jesus as a church and he'll take care of those needs in his way, in his time, as we seek him together. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're attempting to do. Um, the greatest need that we have is Jesus. And so the question we gotta ask ourselves then is how can we simplify to have more Jesus? What does that mean? What does that mean for us as a church? How do we simplify everything so we can be more focused on Jesus? How can we be simplify to make Jesus more and more the center of everything we do? Some of you may not know this, but we have something called the Essential Store here at Frontline. Um, so over here on this side of the building where the, where the storehouse is, the community center, there is an Essential Store. That's the part of the storehouse that we really own as a church the Frontline really operates. And so uh, the Essential Store, we give uh, personal care items to around 300 people a month, or it's up to now, are coming through a membership. It's kind of a hand up versus hand out model, and they're getting their needs met. So shampoo, you know, uh, deodorant, you know, diapers, all the kinds of things that people need if they're in a tough situation. Um, we actually give that uh, here at the Essential Store, and we provide for people's um, basic needs through doing that. And so a few months ago, Jen Knapp, 
who uh, is our volunteer leader who helps lead uh, the store, or sorry, helps lead the essential store, was telling me, um, you know, we, as a leadership, we just began to realize we're meeting these physical needs. We're doing these things, you know, shampoo, you know, soap, all that kind of stuff. But what we're not doing is addressing anybody's spiritual needs in a meaningful way. So what they did, they had this idea, they just propped up a couple of pallets and they gave people some pieces of paper so they could write down prayer requests and just began to say, we're going to pray for you. When I heard that, this, I took this picture back there. This, these pallets are like covered in these prayer requests in the essential store. When I heard it, I thought to myself, why would anybody do that? I mean, right? I mean, they're there to get personal care items. That's what they're there for. But people are writing down prayer requests. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, Jen told me, we've taken the next step with that. And God has provided, there's a woman named Claudia who attends our church, who's a prayer warrior. She just has the gift of intercessory prayer. And she, she has been hanging out in the essential store and just offering to pray with people. Like, let's just go to God right now and just, and just pray with people who are there shopping and getting personal care items. Again, when I heard this, I'm like, why would anyone do this? If you were at Meyer buying some deodorant, would you want somebody, hey, I'm going to pray for you before you walk out. Would you do that? No. You'd probably be like, no, I, I'm good. <laughs> That's a little weird. I'm going to see you later. You know, people are stopping and they're praying and they're breaking down and God is meeting them right in the middle of this essential store. You know, you know why I think this is happening? I think it's happening because when you are in a tough situation in life, you begin to believe all kinds of things about yourself that are not true. And when people who feel like they're worthless have someone as the hands and feet of Jesus say to them, let's stop, let's pray. You need to know Jesus sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he believes you are worth dying for. When that message begins to get across, what happens is the real deepest needs of life begin to get addressed. Because the greatest need of anyone's life is Jesus. More than shampoo and deodorant and all the monthly things that we need, Jesus. Jesus. The greatest need that any of us have is Jesus. This past fall, I got the opportunity, was blessed to go with my 10-year-old son, John, to Ethiopia. We went to our care point there in Ukro. Uh, this community where we have a, a, we have a care point that we sponsor as a church through Children's Hope Chest. And we got to see kids that, we, that you sponsor, that we sponsor together um, there at the care point. And one of the most powerful things, the team, uh, all of us who went, I think all of us came away saying the most powerful part of that trip were the home visits that we got to do. So we got to go around to kids, you know, to kids' homes who were part of the care point and see their, visit their families and talk with them. So we visited, you know, our own, the kids that we sponsor and some of the ones you sponsor and those are some of the most powerful times. I've told you about one of those visits, uh, but I haven't told you about this visit. One of the most powerful moments in the, in the whole trip for me, um, uh, our, you didn't know this happened, but there was a woman, she's a widow, her husband died uh, a little over a year ago, and then she was, her kids are in the care point, and they're trying to make it, they're trying to survive, and then her home happened to sit in this area that was right in between this uh, political unrest that began to happen. These two ethnic groups began to fight and it got violent. And so her home, just because her home was in the middle of between these two groups, her home was destroyed. And so you didn't know you did this, but last year we kind of got word, hey, there's this woman, this widow who's, her kids are in the care point and they're literally homeless. I mean, they literally have nowhere to live. They're just out in the streets, they're exposed. And so um, you wrote a check, we wrote a check out of giving ourselves away, our missions fund that we have as a church to buy her a new home. 
And so we did this. We wrote the check. And so, uh, yeah, you can clap for that for sure. So um, she has this home. And so Yarid, while we were there one of the days, he said, hey, uh, our, our, the care point director, he said, why don't we go visit her, this widow, this woman? And um, her house, new house is being built, but she's staying in this home right here while the house is being built. Let's just go and visit her. And initially when he said, let's go visit her, I, I thought to myself, why? Uh, I mean, what are we going to do? Like, I mean, we already wrote the check, right? The house is already being built, you know, check the box, mission accomplished. Uh, aren't there other needs? Aren't there other people we need to visit and we need to, to kind of highlight? And to be very honest with you, I didn't know really what we were supposed to do when we went to visit her. And so we drove in the van. We stopped at the place where she and her kids were staying. And when we got out of the van to walk into this, this little one-room house that she and her kids are staying in, I literally, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, didn't, I still, I had no idea why we were there or what we were supposed to do when we got in there. And so we go in this little room and we sit down with her and her children. And within seconds of walking in that room, I knew exactly why we were there. She couldn't even look us in the eye. Her voice was like barely more than a whisper. And she just looked dejected and broken. Because when you are treated in this life like you are disposable, you begin to believe all kinds of things about yourself that are not true. So I I remember us just sitting there in the room and uh, finally after she got done uh, just talking a little bit, I remember we just said, I'm so sorry for everything that you've lost. And she immediately started weeping and we started weeping and we all just gathered around her and we just began to pray and we began to call out to God. And, and I believe we were sent there to be the hands and feet of Jesus just to say to her, Jesus sees you. He loves you. You and your kids are not disposable. You are worth dying for. Because when we begin to understand that Jesus has done that for us, the greatest needs of life begin to get met. The greatest need that any one of us has is Jesus. It's Jesus. We have a a missions partner named Ebenezer Discipleship Training Center in Haiti. A couple weeks ago, they just celebrated their 10-year anniversary as a missions organization. And they celebrated that they were able to train 200 indigenous missionaries like Haitians, indigenous missionaries, to be uh, proclaimers of the gospel there in Haiti. I don't know if, you've, uh, if you know what's going on in Haiti right now. I don't know if that news has hit your doorstep or not. But Haiti is in a really rough place right now. The political and economic unrest has just reached a fevered pitch. Gas and water has essentially ran out. People are desperate. And it's overall this political um, situation with, uh, you know, a president that's in place right now and all this stuff that's happening and so you may wonder, well, why are we, what are we doing training missionaries? Aren't there bigger things? Aren't there more important things that we can do? Right now, I want you to know all the Americans are being called out. Missionaries are leaving Haiti left and right. People are exiting out. But we have 200 missionaries who are not leaving, who are indigenous people to Haiti, who are there proclaiming the gospel. Because the greatest need in Haiti is not for a better political candidate. The greatest need in Haiti is for more Jesus. Jesus. It's the greatest need any of us have. The reason I'm telling you all this is because if I were you, if I were sitting where you sit, if I were you, I would wonder, why are we involved in all these things? 
I mean, why, seriously, why are we giving money through giving ourselves away to these things? Why are we involved in all these different missions partners? I mean, couldn't we have nicer stuff if we weren't involved in all these things? You know, we could have nicer carpet squares, right? A, a roof, a sound system. Couldn't we have all those things if we weren't involved in all of this stuff and doing these things, you know? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes, we could, 100%. We could have nicer stuff. We could have better things. Absolutely. So if I were you, I would be asking the question, why then, if we need a roof and a sound system and all this, why are we involved in all these things? So here's the why. I'll tell you the reason. The reason is because when the church of Jesus finds ourselves in a situation where we can provide for our own needs, we can solve our own problems, we can write a check and solve our own situations, what happens is we begin to believe all kinds of things about ourselves that are not true, that I did this, that I provided, that it's my performance determines my value, that my worth is determined by how much wealth I can accumulate and by how much wealth I can make. And when we do that, we begin to believe these things about ourselves, that, that, that that's who we are, and we begin to forget whose power it is that changes a life, whose power it is that redeems and rescues people, whose power it is that sets the captives free. Our greatest need is Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the greatest need we have. So, uh, you may think that, um, you know, we're trying to be very noble. Here, the reason we're involved in all these things is because we're, it's a very noble cause and we're trying to be this noble church. Actually, the motives are quite selfish. I do it because I want more Jesus. Jesus' words to the rich young ruler were, go, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Because I'm more valuable than anything you could ever possess. To the church in Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You need to come. You don't realize that you are poor and wretched and blind and naked, and you need me. Your greatest need is me. And so a couple things we want to ask you to do today. Um, first of all, we want to ask every single one of us as a church to take a next step with one of our partners today, with one of our missions partners today. Uh, I believe what we need to do as a church right now in the midst of our needs that we have is I actually think we need to give ourselves away even more. I think we just need to lean in and go after Jesus even more. And uh, so underneath your butts on your seat are our missions partners. I don't know why we chose to do it that way, but uh, if you haven't noticed, um, and around the seats, there are different cards sitting on different seats. You can grab one. And so all we want to do is just put some... Um, some cards on your seat, and our, our goal would be that every single person here at Frontline would take a next step with a partner today. If you don't like the card you got, you can trade with your neighbor uh, if, if, or whatever. Or um, we have several of our missions partners actually out here in our lobby. To me, if, if, if you would just go and have a conversation and learn more about and begin to have a relationship with one of our partners, that would be a win. Some of you are going to feel moved to actually simplify your lives in such a way to become generous and to be involved one of our missions partners, and that, and that would be a huge win. And so we want, we want to, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to send you out to just go be the church and to go do that. Um, but I can't close this message, what we were talking about today, without giving you an opportunity. There are some of you in this room, you've been coming to church, you've been here, 
you've been listening to messages and that sort of thing, and, and you, what you haven't realized is that your greatest need is Jesus. It's Jesus. And you've been trying to fill your life with all kinds of things, a job, a career, uh, a relationship that you think is gonna make you happy or solve it, or money or possessions to upgrade your stuff. That's what you've been living for. And the greatest need of your life, none of that stuff is gonna do it, it's Jesus. And you've believed all kinds of things about yourself that are not true. And what you need to hear this morning is that Jesus' death on the cross was every bit as much for you as it was for me or for anybody else in this room or for the lowest person in in another country or the highest person in a position of authority. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All of us are poor and wretched and blind and naked and our greatest need is Jesus. It's only his power that can redeem and reconcile and set captives free. So before we sing, I want to do this. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do exactly what Jesus says, invites the church in Laodicea to do in that passage. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What do we got to do with that today? All we got to do is open the door and let him in. He's done the work. He's provided the the salvation. And and so I'm not going to ask you to do anything public. Uh, next week is baptism, that we call that going public with your faith. Um, so that's, that's kind of next week, and that's what we're going to focus on next week. But in this place, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, the way we open the door to him and we let him into our lives, the language we've used around here is we call, we call it confessing Jesus as your Lord. So I, you can do that in a prayer. I want you just to pray along with me. If that's you, if you know, man, I know I've been trying to fill my life, and the greatest need of my life is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I recognize right now that you are the greatest need in my life. That what I have provided for myself and I've been so proud of, that, my, that I've believed that my performance determines my value, that my worth is bound up in my wealth. I turn from that indifference. I turn from that hard-heartedness right now and I just declare that you are the greatest need that I could possibly ever have. I invite you right now to redeem me and restore me and come in by your death and your resurrection to give me a new life in you. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for providing what we really need in this life. I'll follow you to the ends of my days. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. If you prayed that prayer, what we, what we believe is that you just got saved. And what, what I want you to hear is this is a starting line, not a finish line. It's the beginning of a new life in Christ. The finish line, there isn't one. It's a life that goes on forever. So from here on out, Jesus wants to be the thing to give you what you need every single day. He wants to fulfill you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you direction. So this is a starting line, start the race. He's the greatest need that you have. So would you stand with us? We're going to sing, and then, and then we'll close out and send you out to be involved with our missions partners. But let's just sing about that truth this morning. Jesus is the greatest need that we have.